Hello and welcome to Full Contact Nerd, where we talk about fiction and storytelling in all its forms. From the weird to the fantastic, horror, sci-fi, fantasy, thrillers, mysteries, anything you can ask for, we have it. I'm Chris Alvarez and thank you for listening. I'm speaking with Constance Sayers, author of A Witch in Time, uh, which was published February 11th of this year by Red Hook, which is uh, which falls under Hatchet Book Group. Uh, thank you for speaking with me. Oh, thank you, Chris, for having me tonight. Sure thing. Um, so, uh, first, I'm sure you have many writing ideas that swirl around. How did this particular idea rise above uh, above and dominate the rest? Well, I um, it comes on the heels of my first book um, that I had been working on for about 10 years was a rural noir book. So it was very, um, very different than this book. And I had, uh, I think I had just kind of been burned out from the, you know, kind of the, the, the close in gritty writing that's required for those books. And so um, I like to read and write and I, you know, was a big Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan. So I, you know, that, that's really what I'm attracted to as a, as a reader and as a viewer. And so my sister um, had a painting that hung on her wall for many years. And it, it was a, a painting that she thought looked like a lot like me. And I remember at one point just looking at it and thinking, like, wouldn't it be cool if, like, it was? And so from there, I, I thought, well, I'll just try a narrative where a woman, you know, there is a there is a painting and the painting actually is her. And it's from, you know, 100 plus years ago. Mm-hmm. And just from there, honestly, it, it just kind of came out into, uh, you know, into this um narrative that I had taken to my workshop group and some things didn't work and some things did work with it. And so I kind of just like fleshed it out a little bit more. But the one thing that really kind of stuck out that I was itching to do a little bit was a bit of a period piece. And so, um, so it, it really worked the modern day with the fact that this painting could have been her a hundred years ago, kind of led me back to Belle Epoque Paris, which is something I really wanted to write about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, so yeah, the detail is very rich and, and being a resident of the DC metropolitan area, I was uh pleasantly surprised to see you, you know, use some of that setting. Um and then Yeah, I I also am a resident of the DC Metro area and I feel that it is such a maligned setting. I mean, it's just used for you know, so so rarely do do movies or books go beyond you know the intrigue of the Capitol or the mm-hmm. nefariousness of the White House or you know, and I, I just I candidly was bored with that because I mean those of us who live here know it's really an amazing city and I wanted to kind of use some of the things that were a little off the beaten path like I think Anarcho Park is very mysterious and it's got this whole like you know nostalgic kind of like you know, pull to it. And I love the Kennedy Center. So I wanted to kind of use some of the things that I think, you know, people don't necessarily uh, know about. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned already some of what the book is about. Um, Can you elaborate as much as you'd like about the uh, protagonist and setting and and conflict? So, right. So Helen Lambert uh, is the modern in modern day Washington, and she uh, goes out on a date a blind date uh, with a, a man by the name of Luke Varner, and he's very mysterious, and she's just you know, been going through a, a divorce, and so this she's like kind of getting back out there, and um, he tells her that they've known each other for a hundred years, and she you know thinks the date's a disaster, and uh, so I, I think it does pull you in really quickly because mm-hmm. it's like you know just just a horrible date, 
And here, what she begins to learn is that she is the fourth version of um, a young woman from Belle Epoque, uh, France, uh, known as Juliette Lecomte. And so she keeps returning again and again um, every, you know, 34 to 40 years um, in some kind of binding curse that has bound her to another man. Uh, and they keep reliving this doomed love affair again and again, and so it does have some, you know, witchcraft. It's a, it's a, it's a curse. Is the is the genesis of what happens, but it's also um, this woman in these different times, and you know, she's got this kind of supernatural, strange thing that's happened to her, but at the same time, she's got a bit of a love triangle in every every one of these lives and she's both learning from them as she's kind of going through them but then she's also you know kind of trying to stop this from happening again because I mean that once she realizes kind of what's what's going on she's kind of against the clock to try and see if she can actually put an end to it and so that's really what the book is about. Mm -hmm. So uh, what uh, research did you do for the book um, as far as the setting and, and all that? Yes, yeah, so I um, I started. I always start with just books on the period, you know. To and I usually get like four or five really good books um, on uh, like like like. There was a lot of great books on um, the Belle Epoque, like France, and really a look at kind of the occult in Paris at the time, which was very um, very vibrant and robust because you kind of had this push-pull against some of the occult and science and so it was a really very interesting time in in France and so I, I read a lot of books on you know kind of political and social um, happenings in France at that time and then I read Zola and a few books that were kind of written during the time to get the language and some of the customs then I, I've been to France several times doing research on the ground. I really believe the only place I couldn't go was Chalon, France. Um, but I, I spent a lot of time in the Loire Valley this summer and Paris, a lot of time uh, in Paris. And I had a Louvre guide um, take me around. And an interesting thing about Louvre guides is they have to study for seven years there to be able to actually do that. It's a, it's a really involved, long process to become a guide like that. And this guide took me all around um, Montmartre and all around um, uh, Paris, basically showing me what would have been the case in 1895, 1896. Mm. For example, a, a woman could not have walked alone without a chaperone in 1895 and 1896 uh, Paris if she were a quote-unquote lady. And so, like, little things like that that I really didn't, um, that, that I just didn't know, you know. And um, so she was just very helpful. I did the same thing then again in um, Los Angeles. And, in fact, I had the, um, the driver of Glitterati Tours tell me that he was just thrilled that I was asking him to go to Jean Harlow's and Carol Lombard's mm -hmm. house. We're going to Calabasas to visit the Kardashian mm -hmm. house. And he said, I never get like requests like this. You really made me kind of get into my history books. And I think that people like that really love like that old Hollywood um, uh, mystery and nostalgia. And so, you know, I, I did a lot of the same thing then all over again with Los Angeles in the 1930s. And also, Listen to a lot of um, uh, William Powell, Carol Lombard, William Powell, uh, Beryl Loy type of uh, movies just because I, I wanted to kind of get that 
dialogue, that snappy dialogue. And I don't know that people really talked like that necessarily then, but I wanted it to have a distinctly different feel from what I thought was a little more of the lush uh, language that you had in Belle Epoque, um, France. And then the the 70s, I mean, I kind of grew up in the 70s, and so I, I love them. And I wanted to really explore the idea of what it was like to cut an album in 1970. Uh, and so that's, so it really kind of gave me a great opportunity to kind of explore things that I was really interested in and then, and dive down really hard on the research for, um, the 1970s. I did a lot of research on the, uh, making of both the Fleetwood Mac white album and the Fleetwood Mac and, and rumors. And so, uh, just to kind of figure out like, you know, what happens to the dynamic when people go into a recording studio. Um, and that was fascinating. Oh yeah. Yeah. It does sound, <laughs> it sounds really great. Since you mentioned the Belle Epoque period, you know, that that's often, that's kind of a steampunk period, too. Your book doesn't right. go into any kind of steampunk at all, does it? Um, it doesn't, and I really, <laughs> I, I, I right now I'm obsessed with, but, you know, I love steampunk, and I also am just thinking that there is some kind of, like, really kind of punky Western, you know, in my, I really want to write, write a Western that is, it's, like, supernatural. And so um, I, I did not venture into that territory, but <laughs> um, but I, I, I love both of them. Mm -hmm. and, and the Los Angeles part, is that, does it get... Is it more about, um, does it get a, a noirish at all? or Definitely. So um, the 1933, 1934 um, period in, in, in Hollywood was very interesting because, you know, I have a fixer, you know, who's involved in the, in the um, plot. And you definitely, I was really interested in, you know, this is a very, like 1934, 1935-ish, were, were very tragic times you had the death of um you know gene harlow earlier than that you had the death of thelma todd and so there was a real noirish kind of feeling about thelma todd's death i mean you know how was she killed and um and then carol lombard would die a few la years later so there was definitely kind of this very haunted hollywood um feel it wasn't as hard-boiled as something like a raymond chandler book but mm -hmm. i really wanted to kind of kind of um lay the track for the fact that you know that this was really when the idea of Hollywood was forming, and so you had like some of the early studios doing some things that were um, you know kind of a suspect, and I have a fixer, and so that those are kind of if you if you are interested in those types of things, that's something that is definitely there. Hmm, cool. Let me turn to um, sort of the process of writing your process. So you mentioned some of your inspirations already. Um, are there other things you could mention as far as books, movies, or TV that inspired you or inspire, you know, still inspire you? Absolutely. I will say probably um, one of the biggest inspirations that I have had for this book is um, Andrew Davidson's The Gargoyle. It was out maybe 2008, and it just is a book that has haunted me, and I it's probably one of my, I mean, I would say top five favorite books. Um, obviously, like I, I love Elizabeth Costa as the historian. It's got that kind of romance to it. Um, it was very influenced by David Mitchell's Cloud Atlas. Um, mm. I like what he did in Cloud Atlas for the different time periods, and they felt very authentic and very different from each other. And I wanted that. I wanted the challenge in this book was having time periods that felt very encapsulated, but yet also had a larger like narrative tie. Mm. So that was. I, I really loved that he did and wanted to, to do as well. 
Um, you know, I mean, I'm a big fan of the Deborah Harkness. Um, still, you know, um, uh, both Discovery Witches and all the books as well. And I mean, it's definitely an Outlander. If you like Outlander, there's a real, you know, kind of Outlander feel for this book as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and, you know, in terms of just television, I mean, I love Dark Shadows growing up. I, you know, I mean, like I said, a big Buffy fan. I, I'm big, you know, sci-fi fan. Uh, I mean, Winona Earp is probably one of my favorite things right now. And Sabrina. And I mean, I love anything that's kind of supernatural. I'm, I'm really, really, really uh, drawn to. I'm speaking with Constance Sayers, author of A Witch in Time. You can find her on Instagram and Twitter at Constance Sayers. If you like this podcast, please like and follow me at chrisalvarez.com, on Instagram at chrisalvarezsci-fi, on Facebook under chrisalvarezfcn, on Twitter at chrisalvarezfcn, and on YouTube under chrisalvarez. Now back to the podcast. And how about music? Is there, can you say there's any sort of soundtrack that goes with your, with the book or, you know, anything that kind of spurred you on? Yeah. Well, there's definitely a soundtrack to the book. I mean, you know, um, the work of Eric Satie on the classical side is, I mean, if you, I mean, I, I, I was, a, I was a DJ for four years uh, out of midnight to six uh, shift on a radio station outside of Pittsburgh. Mm. And so, I mean, I, I'm a big, I'm very drawn to the, um, more of the classic rock music that's just kind of what i had ended up uh um playing a lot of and then also um new wave and punk and i mean i kind of you know i was kind of a kid growing up in the 1980s and so that was something that i was also drawn to but i will say that in going back and listening to the work of eric satie if you're a music fan it's really haunting music and he um he it just wrote some just beautiful pieces and that kind of frames the Bella Pock um, period. And then um, I, the music of the 1970s, you know, you've got the Laurel Canyon sound definitely. Mm-hmm. So you've got, you know, I, I have them, uh, the band, which is actually called No Exit, which is uh, the based off of the Jean-Paul Sartre book. Um, the band is called No Exit, and they're on Sunset Strip in 1970. So you've got Buffalo Springfield, and you've got you know the Troubadour, and so all of that is happening on Sunset Strip. Um, so that is pretty forward in that in that narrative in that uh, 1970s time frame, mm-hmm. and that's also a really interesting time frame too, 1970, because you had uh, Easy Rider. And Easy Rider, if you remember, Dennis Hopper mm-hmm. went through Taos, and so they they actually record the the record uh, in 1970 in Taos because he um, fell in love with Taos and actually bought the Mabel Luhan Dodge house there. And so um, it's just it's just a really great like each time period I think is just has a very interesting kind of encapsulation. And so hopefully I hope people like that because it's um it's full of a lot of. Uh, heavily researched things that will kind of draw you into the time period yeah that's pretty cool uh so as far as writing like your actual writing process is there anything out of the ordinary that you say that you do to complete your work well i when i am in writing mode i i write a thousand words a day and i'm very serious about that that does not mean i I don't want it to sound like i write a thousand words a day every day for you know, 365 days. Mm. I do not do that. Um, but I know that I've got three months of writing coming up uh, to get to 90,000 words. I'm cranking out a thousand words a day. And mm. I will say that uh, National Novel Writing Month, if 
for those of you who are writers, if you haven't done it, I, I really recommend it because what it teaches you to do is stop editing and just keep writing and keep writing through what is just crap and keep just <laughs> keep writing because I think there's something very important about finishing the work. We tend to, as writers, I think, go back and, and just obsess over the first 50 pages and sometimes just don't move on from that. And it's really hard to assess, I think, your first 50 pages until you kind of know what you have. Mm-hmm. And so just that process of just pushing through. And then at the end of it, you know, I remember the first time I did this, I had 90,000 words and I didn't know what to do with them. It was like 300 plus pages and it was a disaster. And then I started just kind of, you know, putting three acts like, OK, the first third has to, you know, get you to the point where there's, you know, like you're you're you know, everything that you kind of are introduced to everybody and it's got to have that hook. And then the middle has to hold together. And then the ending has to be poignant. And so I, you know, I, I've really followed that. But I just think the biggest thing is for me is you just have to um, really keep pushing. And I will say that if I have a great day of writing and maybe I have 3,000 words that I'm doing, sometimes on a weekend I'll do that on like a Saturday if I just get on a roll, I will stop before I do the 3,000 and I'll hold the other thousand for the next day just because like I, I, I want to be excited to come to return to the page. And uh, so I, I really have to trick myself into getting a first draft. I fight with myself. I trick myself. I do whatever I have to do to get that thing done. Mm-hmm. Over time, since you, since you first started writing to now, how has your approach changed over time? I think that, well, I mean, I I think that I, before getting a book contract, I had a little bit more like time in the world to obsess over things and workshop things. You know, I, I, living in DC, one of the places that's been a very valuable resource for me has been the Writer's Center in Bethesda. And, you know, I would leave work and I would go there and I would take various workshops and I would work again on my first 50 pages or I'd work on short stories that I might take pieces of and bring them into to a, a book. But I will say that you have to get pub, being published was a was a difference for me because you have to have a right left brain. They, they both have to work in conjunction. You've got to be as good on the business side as you are on the creative side and you've got to call on them both like whenever you need them so it's it's like if i need to i I might be you know doing publicity and stuff for for the book while i'm writing i mean i'm in the current you know working on my my second book which is is due next in 2021 so i'll have to pivot quickly and write um and write for that and you know i mean hey the muse may not be there i mean Mm -hmm. But I've got to sit down and find the muse. And that was just something I think I was a little, you know, I, I had a little bit more time. But I'm not sure that I actually used it any wiser. You know, I mean, I, it's just you, you've got to, you know, you've got people counting on you. And so you've got to turn in the work. And so that um, it's just different. And so you've got to have as a, an equal part creative side as you do business side. And I think that that is something that I was... I just don't think I was expecting. I mean, it's great. It's kind of, but it's also, um, it was a surprise. Hmm. So, um, have you done what, what sort of, um, non-writing work have you done that's influenced how you approach writing or what you write? Well, my day job, I'm a media executive. And so that, um, I've been doing the same job for about 20 years and I, I love media because it's, it's still 
still like the the written word. So I'm not, I love that, but I'm completely on a different side of the house. I'm on the business side. So those are my days are spent with spreadsheets, but I will say that the one thing um, that it, that work taught me was the importance of collaboration and that, that nothing you do or nothing you write is precious. So like, you know, I'll work with my team to get something together, to get strategic plans and things together and it's a real team effort, and uh, and and by the time we're done, it's something that, that we've shaped that's, that's really good and much better because the, everybody's kind of looking at it with a critical eye. And so that, I think, really translated well into uh, the publishing industry because, like, it is a, it's such a collaborative process. You and your editor and, um, you know, and the marketing teams and stuff, it, it's, you're definitely getting their input and, uh, and they're really pros and they know what they're doing. And so it's been, um, really great. And I think work prepared me for that. Mm -hmm. were, were there parts of this book, this novel that, um, that you did, that you wanted to keep in, but just for whatever reason had to go, you, you don't have to say what it is. I'm just curious if there were parts that, uh, no, I've, yeah, happy to happy to talk about that because I do think it is important. Um, my editor Sarah Guan um, uh, at Red Hook, she um, wasn't as thrilled with the 1970s um, chapters, and so I listened to what she said, and then I went back and completely rewrote them. Mm -hmm. And so what you have is a is a is a version two of of that and i feel like those are my favorite parts of the book mm -hmm. and i think I, I just candidly that is my favorite time period of like when you look at all of them me which one was your favorite it is definitely the 1970s but i had to work for that harder because it wasn't there necessarily the first time and i i thought her feedback was very valuable and went back and and she wasn't wrong mm -hmm. so it, i think it ended up making the book much better mm -hmm. cool um, bit of a whimsical question. Um, thinking back when you were young, was there any, uh, power or technology or maybe fictional setting that you yearned for that, that you wanted or you wanted to be in? Oh my gosh. I'm such a child of the seventies. I mean, I, I, I remember like trying to figure out, did I want to have bewitched power or did I want to be the bionic woman? And I mean, I weirdly said the bionic woman and now I'm like, what were you thinking? I mean, you could just be bewitched and just make yourself bionic you know what i mean so like i don't know like i i mean those were i just i'm such a, i mean you know i loved growing up anything magical like that i was really um really into and so um uh i don't know if that answers your question but like yeah. i uh i i loved loved but it wasn't an i dream a genie fan but i was a very very big bewitched fan so you wanted to be a witch with all kinds of good powers. You know times. it. Even back then I did, yes. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so you mentioned some of the difficulties in finishing the book. Did you have any others as far as meeting deadlines or, or getting stuff done? Or and, and you mentioned the travel you did. Was there any problems with getting to locations in time or, or you know, that sort of thing? No, not, no. I'm, uh, I mean, I, I'm a little bit of a, like, freak about that kind of stuff so I'm, I'm always like I always hit my deadlines I'm really good about that um no I mean I can't say I'm, a, I'm an over meticulous planner and uh I was I, I knew though I needed to uh I wanted to get this book to the um publishing house like to, to get it out to editors and so 
I knew I was racing against the clock. And so I knew when my agent wanted it finished and stuff. So uh, when we were sending it out. And so I definitely was like, you know, especially toward the end, I did. Well, I, actually, I did a an emergency Taos um, visit. <laughs> I had been to Santa Fe several times, but not Taos. And I felt like I needed to go. And so I did an emergency Taos visit in the middle of winter. And I uh, don't know that I advise it, but I mean, it's beautiful. But like, maybe like but I, I, I didn't really need to ski there at, at that point. But um, I wasn't skiing. So I was just like there in the middle of this magical winter. It was beautiful, but like it was fraught with potential for, um, for being snowbound and all kinds hmm. of other things. And, uh, um, but that was definitely one of the last things I did. I held placeholders there because I knew that, um, that was really the last bit of research I needed to do. Did you take, uh, any photographs that you referenced, but that you used as a reference as you wrote, you know, maybe, you know, describe the setting you, um, photograph. Yeah. Yeah, and I've actually started incorporating a lot of those. If you follow me on Instagram, I'm on constant. It, it, it's it's at constant Sayers. Mm-hmm. Um, I do what they call behind the scenes. I just have posted two of them, which I've done. Um, I did a behind the scenes of the opera dresses and the opera, and then I also did one behind the scenes of some of the Los Angeles um, outtakes that I've had from photos. And so I'm trying to incorporate the research. Um, and Instagram's just a great way to do that because you can kind of like scroll through some of the pictures and tell a little bit more of a story. Mm-hmm. And so I have definitely been um, doing that whenever I you know, am trying to do that for each of the time periods. And I think it's, um, I mean, I like it and hopefully other people like it too. Also, do you, did you, do you have that classic story of having, you know, the book rejected a bunch of times before it was finally accepted or, or did you have an easier time of it? No, I, I, so I have, um, it took me 10 years to write my first book, like I said, mm-hmm. and it was a uh, rural noir and it was about, um, it was just a small town mystery. And I, um, that book did not, it got, so I got an agent with that book and I um, got an agent through Writer's Digest. And I took one of those courses that they have that you can take where they, like a, like a, an agent will work with you on your first 10 pages. And I met my agent from Sandra Dykstra, Ross Foster. Mm-hmm. And she and I just kept in touch over this book, and she kept giving me or reading it and getting a little like fifty pages, then the whole manuscript and giving me feedback on it. And we worked together on that for about three months, and then she offered me representation. And you know, you, I kind of thought, well, great, then I'm going to get a book contract. This is great. You know, this is what happens. And while this is going to be, you know, it took a, a couple, you know, it took ten years and a lot of like. I, you know, I wrote short stories, had a lot of rejection, but I thought, okay, this will this will happen, and um, it didn't. And so we uh, put that uh, book out uh, for publishers, and she did not have offers, and she stopped from you know going uh, forward with it, and told me that we weren't going to go forward with it anymore. And I just say I was devastated. Yeah. I mean, it was really I mean, ten years in the making of of this book, and I was just completely devastated. Mm-hmm. And so that happened in the fall of um i'm gonna say 2016 and i didn't write again until 2017 mm-hmm. i mean I, I took i took like six months to just really um work my wounds and i had given her like 50 pages of the of a witch in time and you know she was kind of shopping it at the same time saying when she has another idea and here it is you know and uh And she said, look, that's a really good book. Like, you should really be working on that. And she called me in April and said, how's that book coming along? Well, I had 
coming along, it was like, you know, I hadn't done anything with it because I was <laughs> devastated, you know, like see earlier discussion, lots of crying, lots of devastation. And, uh, and so I was, um, and she said, well, when can I see it? And I said, um, September. So then that began a marathon writing session. Hmm. And, um, you know, and it just all, you know, I, I was really under the gun for it. And when I gave it to her, I, I, I mean, I was hearing from people from like from some of my first readers, they were like, well, it's it's like I can't put it down. It's really great. And I had not candidly, I had not heard that from my first book. So I was like, hmm. Ooh, maybe I'm on to something here. And um, and my agent thought it was really good. And so but we took another year to get it in shape. And then we took it out in um, fall of 2018, and that's when Red Hook. Um, and I had seen Louisa Morgan's um, uh, book, Secret History of Witches, and I had sent uh, my agent a note. And I said, "Look, I think this is exactly where it needs to be. This is the, the publishing house for my book, and that's exactly where we ended up." And so, I mean, it was kind of a little bit of serendipity there. And so, yeah. but no, it was a long. It felt like it was a long um, slog. Yeah. But still, the 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 ending. It's a good ending. It's a happy ending. It was a really good ending. Yeah, it was a really. I was, you know, I I just remember I almost like fainted when I heard it. You know, had had been picked up or new beginning. I should say, not not an ending. New beginning. Yes. <laughs> um, so I think you touched on your next writing project. Can you can you talk about that? Uh, yeah. Um, I am currently working on a book about a circus with dark origins and it takes place in 1925 in paris so it's kind of that lost uh generation uh you've got a lot of uh modigliani has just died and you've got ernest hemingway and man ray and everybody over in in you know in montparnasse and so this circus is kind of um kind of circling around that 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 crowd as well and so it's a very interesting um kind of pop Potentially demonic circus. Hmm. Sounds cool. Um, a lot of travel for that one or research, I guess. No, I, I just kind of I had spent uh, several weeks in France this year and uh, and just you know kind of did everything that I had kind of wanted to get you know kind of all the research I had wanted to do. Um, hmm. I haven't found the time to go back, and so um, you know it's 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 just gonna I'm, i feel pretty good about the research that i did and um and i've been to montparnasse a bunch of times so i mean i i, I feel pretty good about that but uh mm -hmm. no I, I i didn't get a chance to go back a second time this year oh well um <laughs> so you mentioned uh so i was gonna ask where people can find you online you mentioned uh twitter at constant sayers but yeah, both Instagram and Twitter oh, Instagram. are at Constance Sayers. Yeah. And if you want to see some of the behind the scenes, um, some of the costumes and things like that, that's on Instagram. And, uh, you know, and, and any kind of news on the on this book and the next book are kind of putting those on Twitter. And I'll spell that for people. Um, C-O-N-S-T-A-N-C-E-S-A-Y-E-R-S. Uh, that's all the questions I have. Do you have any final thoughts or words? No, thank you. Just thank you for having me on the on the podcast. I, I'm, you know, it's just if you're writing, just don't give up. You know, I think that's the biggest thing because you know, just dig in and yeah. you'll you'll get published. Yeah, yeah, definitely dig in, persevere. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, Full Contact Nerd, please subscribe. 
please also rate Full Contact Nerd and review it if you can. I have many more options to nerd out on sci-fi, fantasy, and horror. You can check out my website, chrisalvarez.com. That's Chris without an H. I have 20 mini-blogs on the site covering sci-fi, fantasy, horror, gaming, writing, mysteries, folklore, mythology, and many more topics. You can find my video playlists and my original videos on YouTube under Chris Alvarez. I cover sci-fi short films and games, fantasy fiction, horror short films and games, video and board game design, and more. You can get interesting news on fiction and fiction studies on my Twitter page, Chris Alvarez FCN. You can find cosplay and convention photos on my Instagram page, Chris Alvarez Sci-Fi. You can sign up for my newsletter on new books on my websites, chrisalvarez.com or fullcontactnerd.com. Thank you for listening and keep imagining the past, the present, and the future.